Hello and welcome to the Cena Nerd Podcast. We are back and finally it's the moment that Will has been waiting for since this summer. Yes, we're talking all things Mr. Robot Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2, S Society, because we're back. And we brought in an expert to make sure that we get all of the facts right. I'm so excited right now. I'm your host, Sarah Belmont, and with me as always is my buddy, my pal, the person I always want to push in front of that bus. Will, <laughs> how are you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing well, Sarah. <laughs> uh, we're not going to go there tonight as far as the buses, because <laughs> we are finally here to discuss Mr. Robot. We've been waiting for this moment since the summer, as you said. And uh, no, I can't, you've I, been waiting. Oh, for this come on. You've been, you know, how, folks who've been listening to us know how. Yes, I have been. I'm now a fan, big fan. But Sarah's been like living vicariously through me throughout the summer as well. So we have both been waiting. Don't let her fool you. Yeah, I like to think I always live vicariously through you, Will. <laughs> it's just what we do. What we do. It's what we do. It's what we do. And. Please do not embarrass me because we have an expert in our presence, a longtime friend, someone who has been on the show before, and we're glad to have her back. She's the host of the Unmasked podcast. Akira, you're in the house. Hello, friend. Hi, guys. How are you? Well, I'm good. <laughs> I don't know why that question was <laughs> I know. I, I thought that was a pretty honest answer right there, my friend. Okay. But <laughs> it was. We'll, we'll just take. We'll. Let's just say that you're probably still re- recovering from um, the undo episode. Oh, my God. I love that episode. Love yeah. it so much. Yeah. Oh, it is what I have wanted since the season one finale. <laughs> 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 really I mean, I don't know if anybody else felt like that, but I was I went into it. And for whatever reason, my expectations were low after watching the first episode, Power Save saver mode i was just like okay we're back i still don't completely trust you because of what happened in season two but i'm glad to have this show back in my um at in, in my um on my laptop and um and then i watched episode two and i'm like no 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 no, no. we are back this is mr robot that i fell in love with and it is True to form. It's everything I've wanted for so long. And I was thinking about it today, you guys. I think the reason why I miss, I, it felt so right is because all of the characters who are my favorite were in that episode. There was no like extra fat anywhere. And it just felt like, yeah, this is, this is Elliot again. And we're, we're going down this path and I'm full sail ahead. <sighs> Yeah. But yeah, I'm still recovering. You're still recovering. Well, <laughs> it's funny. So I, I, I know there's, there's a lot of folks down on season two, but I actually enjoy season two. So actually, yeah, season two. yeah. I think that um, I don't. Know, I guess really with um, season going from season one and season two, um, I think that a lot of people, I guess, were kind of just expecting a repeat of season one, and really when you think about it. And here, like, go through the, go through cast interviews, um, inter, um, interviews with Sam and other people affiliated with the show. You know, you can kind of look at season one as this fast paced plot driven season. And then season two was more of this, um, character 
um, driven season. And I really think that I really do think that it was necessary to have those seasons be what they were focused on Mm -hmm. because I mean, in some way, shape or form, I feel like season three probably would not be as appreciated as it is right now. If we didn't have that character, that character driven season two and that time to get to know some of the other characters involved in this whole complex story. Agreed. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, you, cause you can't have this whole, you know, the competition that's really fully on display now between price and white rose. If you don't have those moments from season two, well, basically at the end of season one, when they're sitting there at the, at the club, uh, you know, Laying out their first step of their of their plan, but then it's sprinkled throughout season two. Um, you know, you have Price being developed as a character, which you know before he was kind of one dimensional, you know, not one dimensional, but he was just sort of there. Um, and so you know now, and then of course Angela, you know, get having her interaction with White, her own interaction with White Rose, and you know seeing how. All those threads get tied together between White Rose and Price in episode two, which we need to, uh, I know we're jumping ahead, but it really does get, you know, get to your point, Akira, as far as why we have to go to the character driven moments of, of season two to get to season three and appreciate what season three so far has, how, how, how it's unfolded. Yeah. My only argument against that, though, is that to me it sounds like season two was universe building because you're establishing all of the other relationships and all of the history and making this a lot more complicated than just Elliot's story. And season one felt a lot more character driven because we're just focusing on one person. So I would actually swap it and relate it to the seasons like that. But that's just me. I mean, I can see your point there, especially with... um in terms of universe building, um, I think because we were able to, we're able, I think with season one, I guess, not season one, season two, with, in terms of, if we're going in terms of universe building, I think that Elliot's whole prison, he's in prison facade, mm-hmm. um, I think plays into that idea pretty well. Um, but then also, not just that, um, we had, um, talks of parallel universes and there were people that were speculating that, Oh, maybe there is some sort of time travel going on. So yeah, I mean, if you want to take it, take it a step further and say that it was universe building, then yeah, you can definitely make those argue, make that argument with those components of the show and probably more (laughs) argument accepted. Okay. Let's let's just you know that is seasons one and two, and we've shared our thoughts. But season three is here, and it starts off exactly where it left off, pretty much. And we meet Irving, who turns out to be a really interesting character. And I like how they we spend a lot of time with him in the first episode of this season, mm-hmm. and then we don't see him at all in the second episode. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that because you are introducing a new person into this universe and. He's kind of an unknown variable, but Akira, what did you think about Irving and how do you think he, um, what part is he playing in this? Well, off the bat, we see from the, um, you know, if the trailer was giving us any indicator before, um, 
before we jumped into the first episode that, oh, there's Dark Army. So he's affiliated with Dark Army in some way, shape or form. Um, I have I have read and heard people saying, oh, he's probably a, det- uh, a police officer of some or detective um, working with the Dark Army, maybe, you know, a cop gone bad or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, but I I mean, off the bat, in terms of what I see on the surface, that he's a fixer of sorts and working with the Dark Army. Um, but. One thing that I keep in mind about every single character that we're introduced to, whether they are a huge role in this or um, a minor role, and I hate even saying minor roles because really even characters that we don't see as much play a significant part oh, to yeah. this whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about every single character is that there's so many layers to these characters. So I'm thinking, and so really my take on Irving is that pretty much what we've seen of him in season in season, why am I saying season? And so, um, so what we see of Irving in episode one, I would just say, is the first of many layers that I cannot wait to just peel back and see get down to the core of this character. Um, again, I mean, I've been saying that um, Bobby Cannavale, I just love him as an actor. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to see him. To see him completely lose himself in a character, that's for me, that's always one thing that I love about um, some of my favorite actors. And um, it's, yeah, it's a role that you're not used to seeing him in. Right. But at the same time, he still brings it. Um, You know, he presents Irving with, um, he can be menacing when he needs to be, but also menacing in a not overtly menacing way like there's a subtlety to it that makes it even more menacing and frightening um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean he's just he's just awesome i mean and his uh i've heard people refer to him as a uh uh, ned flanders sort of character which makes no yeah i'm like i'm like no i'm not going to think that about him like no oakley oakley i mean no way (laughs) really well really (laughs) of course you would say something like that See, it's it, it's funny because I I was with you and then you lost me at Ned Flanders. Yeah. And because in my mind, I just want to jump in and be like, he's a con artist, mm-hmm. and that's what I find interesting about him is that he clearly is playing multiple personas, mm-hmm. and he and you see him in his introduction and like move from one appearance to the next uh, appearance effortlessly. And I keep going back to how much that reminds me of White Rose and the duality that that character represents. Also yeah. playing two distinct characters on two sides of this. And so, again, I like how we're seeing them introduce this new um, potential bad guy, but there's a duality in it and to the part that they're playing. And that's what's so mysterious and intriguing about him. And I could not help but compare how we're introduced to Irving with how we were introduced with Dom last year. Mm-hmm. Because there's that scene in the convenience store where she stands up and she's just like, no, this is wrong. This is BS. And it's very similar. Only she's FBI and he's clearly something else altogether. But Will, did you have any final points about Irving? No, I mean, I think Akira hit, hit them, hit them all. Um, 
Uh, and I did nothing. Thanks, Will. No, and I was going to, yeah, I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I, I, the introduction as far as Dom and how Irving, you know, with the, I, I, I will, you know, the scene, what I do like about, what I did like about his initial introduction was just how many people have felt that way when you got the card punched at the fast food joint or, or restaurant where it's like, Hey, I want a free meal. And you're trying to figure out how you can use it now. That was just like, on so many levels that gave Irving, like, you know, he's clearly the fixture, you know, he's clearly the Mr. The, the wolf of, of Mr. Robot. But at the same time, he was like already, you know, it, it got into how he, uh, it, his role of like, not only being a fixture, but also uh, trying to work an angle and mm-hmm. and trying to, like, okay, he's somehow affiliated mm-hmm. with Dark Army. Does, yeah, like you said, he does have all these various personas. I mean, one you know, one time he's been a, like Irving's, you know, record service or something on the little business card on the on the truck outside. I mean, so he does, definitely has many, many layers. And I think that initial introduction, as you, as you both said, I mean, does really, you know, and that first seven minute intro uh, really did like you know show that. So looking forward to seeing what they do with this character moving forward. Because so I think I see episode three. I know it's a Tyrell and Urban episode, if I recall. Yeah. 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 So we'll find. We'll see. We'll see that this week. So it'll be fun to watch. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Yeah. And and Sam Esmail, right? Akira tweeted that that was his favorite episode this year. Yeah, so far, yeah, he said so far, this is his favorite, uh, the episode that we're all gonna see on Wednesday is his favorite, and that, as if I wasn't already shook from the undo episode, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm just gonna just, I'm just gonna get back down on the floor and just recover, finish recovering. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, maybe you need to have your own power saving mode after all of this deliciousness. I know, or, yeah, just like, or maybe just completely, yeah, just completely power off. Like, <laughs> hey, everybody has to have their way. I mean, we find out in this episode that Angela, as the moment that somebody she realizes cares about her, she kind of closes herself off, and that's her power saver mode. Mm-hmm. But what wasn't explained, or maybe it wasn't, I just missed it, um, is what. Elliot's power saver mode is and it it kind of feels like because of how the episode begins right after he gets shot and it ends with the power in the city coming back on it feels like it's played out in real time and so I'm wondering Akira did he pick up on any indication of what his power saver mode was um this one as far as interpreting what Elliot's power saver mode is, it was a little, I think required a little bit more digging. Um, I mean, cause usually with um, some of the episode titles, you kind of, um, there's usually always referenced back into the storyline. Um, but I think what I can interpret as far as Elliot's power saver mode is pretty much um, for him when he loses, like he, loses focus and pretty much is on auto. I guess we could say he's on autopilot. Um, mm-hmm. And if he's not 
and he's not able to retain anything that has happened. So I guess in a way we could say that maybe his power saver mode kind of shifts back and forth to when he's Mr. Robot versus when he's not. Um, since when he does come back, he's um, asking us the fr- asking us his friends, um, you know, what happened? Did you see anything? What did I miss? Um, right. Right. Um, yeah, and then like, but even but even though he's blacked he's blacked out, there's still things going on through um, Robot. So, um, but I would would even make the case that um, since Ellie and a Robot are now separated, that um, once, like, once Robot takes over, that's kind of Elliot's power saver mode, and we could probably say vice versa for Robot. I like how you're so informal with Robot. You're just like, yeah, with Robot. <laughs> no, 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 it's Mr. Robot, Akira. <laughs> it's like, when did you become on a first name basis with Robot? Like, how does that happen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I mean, he he even revealed he hates, you know, it was like, he calls me Mr. Robot. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm a robot then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Will, what about you? Do, do you think that that's pretty much what it is about Elliot's ability to go from him himself to Mr. Robot mode and that's how he manages to save power? Yeah, yeah I do. Um one other area, too, I think where Elliot may be in power saver mode is, I mean, honestly, is when, whenever he is, when he's soaked up, when he's taking his, you know. Oh. Because um, that's just, you know, just to black everything out and just use that, you, you use the drugs as a way to, to, to be power, in power saver mode to, you know, because, I mean, whenever he's in that, those states, robot, our call doesn't show up so much or at all. So maybe that's his power saver mode. That was just how before that was just his way of, of, of keeping Mr. Robot under control. When was the last time that we saw Elliot dope up? Um, probably the Adderall scene yeah. uh, during season two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, technically we could say when you, we could say post uh, surgery from the gunshot wound, but we, you know, again, don't see, you know, we can assume yeah. Yeah. might be on something, but, but yeah, we don't see the whole him coming out of surgery or anything like that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it could be, I mean, what's that? <laughs> Go ahead, Akira. That was it. No, I mean, until Will brought it up, I'm thinking in my mind, like, that was such a big part of season one that I feel like it's kind of put and put back on the the back burner because now it's mainly dealing with um, his mental illnesses rather than his um, self-inflicted pain, Mm -hmm. which they could bring up again in the future episodes, but... Um, and specifically one, I mean, he was on Zoloft in season, in the episode two. Right. Now I'm doing the season episode thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, okay, well, well be, here you go. Be, I'm going to give you the be, soapbox. All right. To be fair, though, you know, we are only, only two episodes in season two, season three. So we've got to have to <laughs> get some context to it, right? 
See, we can't even get the number of the season right. Okay, well, yeah. I'm going to give you the soapbox. Right. You can make your case for why there's no time travel involved in this. This is not a particle accelerator, and you would be really upset if they went the flash route with this. Yes, I, I would be totally upset if they, they went to went the flash, the flash route to this. Uh, because the way I look at this, this Elliot's narration bleeds into the theory that I, I would feel very cheated. And if they introduce time travel or, you know, some kind of multiverse into this series, I mentioned this to Sarah before in that I think the whole Mr. Robot and the whole, and, and this universe is, is something that is a construct in Elliot's head. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yes, we, we did have that construct in season two with him being in prison and everything else happening around outside him. But as a viewer, it, you know, delving into these issues and delving into this, this personality disorder that, you know, multiple, multiple personalities that Elliot is dealing with, with himself and this Mr. Robot and seeing the narration as far as how he perceives the world. And in particular, that scene in episode two between Mr. El- with Elliot stepping back and allowing the Mr. Robot persona completely take over in that session with Krista. That to me is what makes this show tick and makes it so unique versus, uh, using the old Hyatt trope of, you know, we have a multiverse or we're doing time travel or some kind of time loop or whatever. So if they went that route, personally, as a viewer, I would feel cheated. I think it's a much more intriguing and compelling show when we're dealing with the mental health issues of Elliot as he is perceived, as he is dealing with all these various scenarios playing out in front of him. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I, I was sort of, it, it does look like a particle accelerator, oh. accelerator. So I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do with it, which brings me to another theory that I read about today. And Akira, if you would be so kind, and can you break down the simulation theory that's out there? Okay, the simulation theory that I have heard thrown around um, is pretty much... um, It's pretty much um, kind of along the lines of the whole parallel uh, parallel universe where um, we've seen White Rose in season two ask Dom, you know, do you ever want, you know, do you ever think that there are parallel universes where right. this is happening? And mm-hmm. um, so simulation theory, um, simulation theory is pretty much um, going a little bit further, further into that with the idea that there are parallel universes. Um, but, with that said, it's pretty much like it's pretty much kind of suggesting that White Rose is building a quantum computer of sorts. Mm. And um, pretty much with this, um, it's pretty much going to be going to be her way of predicting or manipulating things um, in order to kind of set certain events in motion, I guess you could say. 
Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, because we know that White Rose is a woman who does not believe in coincidence, coincidences. Um, mm-hmm. She's also a woman of time. Right. Um, but I think that people kind of take that literally to and kind of went with the whole time travel aspects. And as we've um, seen in, uh, I believe it was in an Entertainment Weekly article that Sam completely was just like, nope, no time travel. Um, and... But and then some people will be like, well, wait a minute. What about the Back to the Future references? And I think that you can still I think that the Back to the Future references are still valid where in that film there were um, those parallel universe, those timelines, Mm -hmm. those parallel timelines existing. So um, the more that I read about this. Uh, the simulation theory, I was just, okay, and the the idea of parallel universes, that to me now seems much more plausible um, than the whole time travel uh, theories. Um, so, yeah, it's basically looking like uh, White Rose is uh, setting, up that, setting up that computer to create um, a, to create a, to create a simulation of a parallel universe. Um, oh, so, so you're going, uh. you're talking about the theory that, okay, because there's two different ones, I guess, because that's one of the versions. And then another version that I almost like a little bit better is the idea that the simulation has already started and White Rose is the only one who knows that they're in a program uh-huh. and she's trying to build the supercomputer and she needs Elliot's help to hack that program. Ah, uh, yes, I've read that version too. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I, okay, yeah. All right. I guess we could say that's more, maybe more of a fleshed out version of the theory, but yeah, I guess depending on whichever one you read. But yeah, um, yeah, I can definitely see that too. And yeah, people are making, they both, uh, both of the arguments or theories or versions, I guess, um, say that she is, that she needs someone like Elliot to, mm-hmm. um, either hack into it or create or, or use Elliot to be like that power source that she needs in order to make it actually happen or work. Um, right. Well, I think there's, yeah. well, I think there is some with that particular theory, there is at least some in universe thing, elements from this season that do that speak to that, especially in the introduction of episode one, where um, you have uh, White Rose, you know, you're you're in the big, you're at the White Rose Township Power Station. I assume that's where they are at, and they discuss Elliot's father carrying out some work at White at the White Washington Township Power Station, and mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you know, so so that theory does make sense in the con, you know, given that you know, because even White Rose acknowledges Elliot's usage. In in that in that scene when he just got talking about it with his assistant, so and that so to me that gives some some you know additional credence for why that theory may be correct. Which version though, Will? Do you think the simulation? Um, so Akira's version was that White Rose is trying to create the simulation. I think, the simula- and- I think it's trying to. Maybe a combination of both. I think it's in, it's in, it's in action. I mean, I think I think things are already in motion, but you know, maybe you know, part of stage two is to is to to, to, to you know finalize whatever hack that needs to be done with Ecor to 
to, to get the, the rest of the information out beyond just destroying the documents and completely destroying the economy. I think that might just be a ruse to, that, right. that, that White Rose is, you know, has, you know, manipulated Elliot into thinking that, you know, in his dorm room philosophizing that this is what I'm going to do to take down the system. But actually, he is actually enabling White Rose to carry out this simulation. Mm-hmm. Something I really like about this theory is it goes back to the season one and, and they're talking about hackers and how hackers get obsessed with something to hack. Mm-hmm. And we, and I think that Elliot's obsession is to hack life. Like he, he digs deep on people mm-hmm. and wants to know all of their secrets, everything. And so the idea that for White Rose to be aware or planning to set up a simulation that's a parallel universe and to put people into or to break people free from, of course she would need Elliot of all people to do that because that's what he does and in whatever form of reality this may be. And I think that's really fascinating. <sighs> and that's only episode one, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this show. Yes, this is why this this series is so amazing. So we have to. So are we going to have to? uh, We have to move episode two to try to undo all this. I see what you did there, and I really appreciate that. Looking out for you, nice nice little smooth, smooth. (laughs) Run with it. Run with it. why don't you run with it? Okay. <laughs> let's, let's talk about it. You, you warned me, Will. You warned me on Wednesday night that I need to get off Twitter because yes. you don't, I don't want the first 10 minutes spoiled. So what happened in those first 10 minutes? Well, not to regurgitate the entire first 10 minutes, but, um, <laughs> the, 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 it got back to the core, I think, of some of the things we enjoyed about this Mr. Robot in that, um, it, it, it it was just first off the soundtrack was just amazing. I mean, it just set the mood so so well with new sensation, and mm-hmm. and you know it. Um, Elliot basically is like you know at the end of episode you know during episode one he he asked Angela to help him get into uh, E Core Evil Court and he he did and and. While he was trying to do his job, he did what he was, you know, to get to your point, Sarah, about hacking in people's lives. He did that so well right. and like hacking up Ecor's corporate ladder and basically <laughs> bringing down all these dopes until he ran into the one senior executive who was just like, huh, this is a great idea. Let's, let's, let's schedule a meeting to discuss this. And, and actually, Elliot. It's a female, by the it way. It was a woman, by the yeah, way. Yep, yep. And I and I and it wasn't lost on me in that. <laughs> <laughs> in a good, in, in the sense that you know all these dopes, you know, before and you know she was taking charge. Reminds me of the of the lawyer of uh, I can't remember the lawyer's name right off the top of my head, but who was part of the court before. But what was so cool about it was when it happened, Elliot was just like, "Oh shit." Um. They're really going to do this, and and it 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 was it was quintessential 
why we like er- Elliot as that in- as that as the as the hero in this in this story, um, because you know before it, it turned his mission on the inverse. Before he was all about tearing things down. Now he's trying to build the organization, you know, work it work it from within to keep from the uh, root, you know, to to basically keep the um, program from being executed. So. I love that. that. That was really, really well done in those first few minutes of the episode. And, of course, all the visualizations with the emojis and uh, uh, on the subway. and uh, It was the emoji movie. Emoji. The emojis. It was the emotions. My emotions. All the fills right there on the subway for everyone. It was so beautiful. It was popping his old off. And just... <laughs> Grab the shirt. Grab the new shirt. I just felt like I was, it, it was it was it was funny. It was like it was like watching one of those uh, you know pharmaceutical pharmaceutical uh, drug commercials. All you know, just, you know, in, in that in that scene. And I and I think and, and again, it was of course very, you know, again, very deliberate in doing that to show that loneliness and how Elliot, you know. Or he's Elliot in the hoodie. Now he's the corporate drone who just puts on his nice, you know, Gap shirts and whatever, and you know goes to his, you know, goes to the E-Corps and uh, you know does his, his soulless job. But of course he he hacks his way up and takes out all these dopes and predatory lenders and everything uh, to make, as he said, to make e- evil evil corp E-Corps a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, shout out to whoever put together that HR video yes. introducing yes. them to E-Corp. <laughs> Speaking from an HR person, that was really well done, really nice. I, I, I couldn't, I guess my mind is so engaged right now in organizational culture that I'm just like, oh, my God, this is what we should be talking about during my classes that night, not the textbook. <laughs> this is fascinating. Like how are Akira, these actually applied? Exactly. Like, what are they really saying? Like, are we really brainwashing our employees when we introduce them to the organization, or do they want to be here? And how do you make them want to be here? Okay, so I gotta ask you, Akira, because mm-hmm. you're the expert here. Why is it that I feel like every season there's at least one episode? which has this similar tone play out, the similar idea that Elliot's plan is essentially to be normal and it never works out, yet we always have this um, this kind of montage occur. Yeah, that, uh, that definitely so far is something that we have seen in um, at least one episode in every season. In season one, we've seen it. Uh, after um, he perceives Mr. Robot to be gone. And the interesting recurring theme with all of these um, moments of Elliot trying to be normal is Mr. Robot is perceived by Elliot to be gone. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so in season one, uh, Robot walks out of the bar and he's, Elliot is just, that's it, he's gone. I'm going to, all right, I'm going to live a normal life now. I'm going to watch those stupid Marvel movies and everything. <laughs> 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 that, you know that great montage set to steal my sunshine mm-hmm. um and then uh yeah and then he got uh snapped back into reality um with the uh what was it with um 
the Terry Covey news. And, yeah. But yeah, it didn't work out then. And then in season two, we could say it was when he, um, on an overdose of Adderall, uh, <laughs> believed a robot to be gone again. And, uh, just, uh, in this state of bliss, <laughs> you guess yep. you could call it, um, uh, where he's skipping all over the place. I mean, we hardly ever get to see Elliot skip around anywhere. <laughs> And then also, he's fine. I mean, the secret to making him interested in basketball, give him some Adderall. Uh, I should probably try that. Um, <laughs> please don't. Please don't. No, no. But, but no, but, um, that gave me, uh, that gave a lot of people like one of our, fa- one of my favorite moments, um, that I use a lot in gift form. Uh, Elliot just shouting, you know, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then of course that doesn't work because it leads to his, um, his kernel panic. And then, um, we see him in that opening montage, uh, that we saw this past week. Uh, he's back into the workforce. He's, he's feel, he feels like he has a sense of purpose, um, in terms of now trying to undo what he did with the, with the five nine hack. In, in terms, really, in terms of undoing it, doing whatever he can—that's within his means because, he, as he said, he can't decrypt. He can't decrypt the information. Um, but that said, even though he and even though he feels like he has given himself a new sense of purpose now, it doesn't feel like it's enough. Like he even ask us, "You guys aren't buying this again, are you?" And it's, <laughs> no, we're not, um, because. As he even admits to Krista, you know, he missed being a part of something, a part of something important. And to anybody look on the outside looking in, you're like, well, technically what you're doing, trying to undo what you did. I mean, right. that, that, you know, that that's a lot. That's important. But I think um, we can also look at him saying he misses being a part of something important where... I think it was something, you know, the five nine hack. I think was something that kind of gave him um, notoriety. I guess you could say, um, you know, everyone. Um, I mean, he couldn't. He wasn't really like getting on the news, getting getting on the news and making videos with his face out there saying, "Yeah, I'm the one that did that." Um, but it was something that left a profound impact on the world, and I was right. trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, also, but also, as I said earlier, the recurring theme with all these moments is that Mr. Robot is, as from Elliot's perspective, no longer perceived to be there. And at this point, with that, with this type of montage, it was just, well, wait a minute, Elliot, you spent all of season two saying that you wanted Mr. Robot gone, and now that you seem to have gotten it, um, the reality is not meeting the expectation of what you thought it was going to be, what you thought life would be like without him. Um so yeah, he's definitely going through um, an adjustment period there and dealing with the fact that uh, Mr. Robot is, in as far as he can tell, not around or at least not there in the way that he used to be since um, Mr. Robot and Elliot have now separated from each other. Separation is hard. We all yeah. we all struggle with it. We all have anxiety. Separation anxiety. Which there was at a poster on the subway in one of those scenes. I I think it, he was coming back from Chris's office, and yeah. I couldn't help but notice the separation anxiety poster. I love that. That was a good touch. That yeah. was a very nice touch. Yeah, I wanted to point out something you just said, Akira, about not meeting 
expectations, like reality and how we deal with unmet expectations once we've we're there. And it's something that I'm noticing right now, because again, I'm an HR person um, with millennials who recently come out of college and they go into the workforce and their first job, there's dissatisfaction there. And it's partly because of purpose and this idea that your first position, like real professional position is going to be your job for the rest of your life. Like this, big disillusion about it. And then that leads to a lot of depression, anxiety issues, and a lot of just struggling with quote unquote adulting in the real world. And so I think to some degree, that's what they're also doing in this, in these um, montages of normalcy for Elliot, because he is representation of millennial culture and how, um, that generation that's so ingrained in technology um, and the 90s and grew up during the 90s is coming into this world that continues to evolve and change and is unexpected. And even though we have all of this communication and we're able to connect to so many people, we often feel isolated and alone. So I think that's really fascinating what you just talked about and how it relates to um things that are actually occurring now with people of that generation. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Robot may not be gone, but Joanna is yeah. <laughs> RIP. Yes. <laughs> she was my favorite for so long. And I actually, you know, I don't, I had no hopes for Joanna this season. I had no idea what they're going to do with her. So it kind of made sense to me to kill her off. It kind of was just like she's she's not needed right now or maybe even for the rest of the series. I mean, Will, how did you feel about this? Yeah, it, it yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it, it does make sense because, you know, you had, you know, the, with, with the interview and how – you know, now Tyrell is cleared of, of murder and how she manipulated a situation with her, with her paramour to, to basically, um, you know, you know, get, get these things, get the charges thrown out. I mean, she had outlived her, 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 her purpose story wise. I mean, Joanna was always an interesting character. I mean, as far as just, um, uh, her, her dynamic with Tyrell, but, um, yeah, it, yeah, I mean, I think storytelling wise, though, she had served a purpose and, and, and it, this was the way to, to, to end it. Um, but it was very interesting in the scene in the, in the, in the, whatever, in the autopsy and stuff with Dom and the FBI agent and this, the interplay as far as the baby. That was actually one of the things I was like kind of curious about, like, what, what's going to happen to Terrell's baby? And, you know, Sounds like they put it off in this, you know, it's near removed to social services. Um, but it just, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if it's like channeling some arrow here or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I, yeah, it just, it just, yeah, that was just one of those things that I, I, I was just wondering how they were going to handle. And I think they just kind of, you know, disposed of all of them in, in one fell swoop. Akira, does um, 
Does anybody online in the Twitterverse have a Twitter handle called the Well Like Baby? <laughs> and they just tweet out. Uh, I haven't seen one yet. Um, that being said, somebody may just be creating one as we speak. But um, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> um, I think but, after this episode, it would be a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, so is there anyone out there in the Twitterverse? Yeah, Sarah, or, go ahead, jump on it now. Do it, Sarah. Do uh, it, it's yours. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I haven't seen a, well, there could be. I'm now curious to go search and see. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll save that for another day, though. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely agree with you guys there on Joanna. Um, Joanna has always been an interesting character to me. Um, and for me, in terms of reading, in terms of reading the characters and really trying to dig deep and analyze them all, Joanna was always one that I could, um, that even when I feel like I scratched the surface, it feels like I didn't really do enough. They're like, no, there's still more here that I'm not, um, that's not come, you know, that's not revealing itself to me. Me, or at least, yeah, she was always an, an enigma to me, but um, but I loved her character nonetheless. And really with her character, her character initially was supposed to be um, lesser than what it ended than what it ended up being. But at the same time, what it what the character did eventually evolve to. I I loved it. And because Joanna was. I remember that when we first were introduced to Joanna and it was that scene between her and Tyrell and I just thought, please don't let her be just, please don't let her be just the housewife. Please don't let her be that. Mm-hmm. And thankfully she was not that. Yeah. And we got, and we, and we got that confirmation in the same episode that we were introduced to her. So that right then and there, I was just, yes, she's not just going to be the housewife. Um, and she, but she ended up being a lot more than what I could have imagined. And, um, in terms of her demise, um, it definitely to, it definitely was an interesting um, uh, poetic justice. Um, I uh, in reading um, some interviews with Stephanie um, about uh, about the character coming about the character's time coming to an end. There definitely was some poetic justice there because you just perceived her character as having so much control and being this um, sort of a puppet master and watching how she was manipulating Derek and everything. And it was just interesting that Derek was the one that ended up taking her out. I mean, I just, I was just like, wow, they really underestimated Derek. Um, I guess kind of just, I don't know, I guess perceiving that it was just going to be something that they could just, toss away like yesterday's garbage and that was it. And it was just, no, that's not how it works. You know, you, you know, eventually, and we've seen or at least heard of stories of how Joanna, of how Joanna and Tyrell would um, manipulate or use people to get what they want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just think there's only so many times you could do that until it eventually backfires on you in a way that is, beyond anybody's control beyond your control really um so to see it so to see her so to see her story and uh wrap up the way that it did has definitely made for one of the most 
shocking, but shocking and most, and was, I think will definitely be one of the most talked about moments of the entire series, I would say. Yeah, but also in a strange way, a little, it was kind of satisfying in a weird kind of way, because to get to your point, I mean, both she and Tyrell did manipulate people all the time to get what they wanted, as you said. And, um, you know, of all people, Derek, you know, who's like pretty boy, who she just thought she could just manipulate because he, you know, has a pretty face with nothing going on upstairs. Um, it, to, to exact that, you know, revenge, um, on, uh, you know, being, for being manipulated in the way that he was. Um, yeah, it, it was like, hmm, you got, you think, you know, Joanna's gotten it and it's just only a matter of time before Tyrell may get it. No! <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. Sorry, did I say that loud? Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not saying, I won't say he wanted to get killed, but I mean, it'll be interesting to see, well, with this Tyrell and Earth. Don't back no. What you said. I'm not saying in fact. Well, I don't want to kill him off just yet. Just well, yet. Yeah. Well, to help, uh, well, I guess to add on to uh, Will's argument, yeah. Um, and again, reading other articles um, uh, that Sam was talking about in terms of Joanna's death, that um, definitely one thing with the show is that it definitely is one where people will face the consequences of their actions eventually. Um, and then with, and with this situation with her, with Joanna using Derek to, um, uh, eventually get, have Scott Knowles arrested for the murder of Sharon Knowles when we all know the truth. Um, and to have him, to have Tyrell basically get, get off of this, get off with this murder scot free. Like, no, it's not going to be scot-free. You know, Tyrell is going to have to pay a price for it. Joanna is going to have to pay a price for it. And also, in terms of the baby, I think you can also say that, you know, innocent, you know, like innocents are also going to get are also going to have to face consequences of that as well. So, I mean, if you want to look at it, look at it like that in terms of, well, the innocents also suffer, too. I mean, you know, you've got this baby who didn't do anything to anybody and now the baby's going to be going off into social services because you know yeah, two, two messed up parents <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. baby chose yeah. the wrong parents lesson learned <laughs> yeah. the right parents in the future no yeah. i mean that makes sense and we do always want the characters to get justice and for it to make makes sense in terms of crimes that they've committed and any misdeeds because you kind of want that satisfaction of the, it coming full circle and it feeling complete in that closure at the end of the day. I just don't want Tyrell to run off again for another season or two because I think he's, um, especially now with jo- Joanna off the table, to to quickly allow him to be swept under the same thing would kind of I'd be a bit disappointed by that. I would be just like, no, the Wellicks are important, and now they're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, it's interesting because I've never necessarily thought of um, Joanna as a puppet master. I think she's very good at controlling Tyrell and herself and maybe a few other people around her, but not. she's not like this this 
otherworldly person who I I attribute to more of the Philip Price and the White Rose. I mean, those are the true puppet masters of this thing. And and Joanna, she just she served her part and now she's gone. I almost look at it like that. Yeah. And I mean, let's talk about those puppet masters, though, and break down because White Rose and Philip Price, they got they're they're in a war right now on currency, of all things. And does anybody else want a flashback episode of to how those two people met? Because I do. I do. (laughs) I need one. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely to get some back um, some backstory there about how do these two ex- how do these two exactly know each other? I mean, I guess I mean I guess the, just to see how that scene played out, I would probably want to see it. But then again, I could see probably why I could probably also justify why we may not get that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because you know Philip Price is the CEO of the biggest conglomerate, so it's only natural that he's going to be. Um, uh, canoodling, I guess you could say. I can't really think of any other choice of words <laughs> uh, with, politi- with political figures. And, you know, definitely would know or at least be able to have access to political figures that can get him what he wants. Um, you know, I mean, in that whole world, he's going to have to get in bed with, uh, um, you know, people that he perceives that he can manipulate, but then also people that he tries to manipulate and can't really and can't really manipulate. Um, and definitely White Rose is definitely one of those one of those characters that he's in this constant struggle for control with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so. I mean, I would like to see just how it played, how that meeting between the initial meeting between the two of them played out. But at the same yeah. time, if we don't get it, I won't be upset about it. No, I, I mean, it all depends on what, like there's a lot to come. And so you're not sure what's going to be exchanged just in present day. And if a back a flashback is necessary at all or anything. Um, but I was I was rewatching the scene and then I thought to myself just before we started this recording after that encounter between them, does does Philip Price realize that Angela is working for White Rose? I don't think he does. If he didn't, then he may he may he he may be aware of it now, yeah. if not fully aware of it, at least now suspicious of it, because while White Rose didn't come out and say, oh, she's working for me now, he just she and she right. just, uh, she did tell him that I talked to her and. But I think I think he doesn't I think she doesn't want I think she probably likes toying with Philip Price and like letting him know that I did talk to her more or less. And how about this? I can see why your pet is so intriguing to you. And I also contemplated pulling, putting a bullet in each eye. They're just so hypnotizing. So I think that with that whole uh, bit of dialogue that White Rose told Philip Price, I think that, He's definitely aware that uh, White Rose has Angela in his sights, in her mm-hmm. sights. Sorry, in her sights. Um, so, yeah, well, 
See, yeah. I, I didn't pick up on originally that they were specifically talking about Angela. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I think it's, I think that is a pretty safe conclusion to draw, um, after that because it's, um, who else would they be talking about? And I don't, I don't remember even the last time I saw Philip Price and Angela on screen. It's been like it a was, good. It's been a while. It was before. Yeah. Yeah, because. They they didn't have any interaction after Angela finally met White Rose last season. Yeah. So uh. I think the last bit of interaction that they had was um was when Angela told him told Price that she wants to go into the risk management department. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that whole thing. Uh. Man, so meanwhile, we have, um, Elliot is still trying to undo all of this and still dealing with his, um, turmoil and trauma and he's back in therapy with Krista. I miss Krista. Yes. I miss Krista too. I love, um, love watching scenes between, uh, Gloria Rubin and Rami. And now you even got to see, uh, Gloria and Christian. Oh my god. Yes, yes, that was yes. Yes. I was oh my god, I that was intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's intense I would say is an understatement to say how that was. That was that was a um that was a really good scene. Yeah, <laughs> I am enthusiastic about this. I don't know. Yeah. No, but it it, it was a, it was a very intense scene. I, you know, I have to say, whenever I first watched it, on um, you know, I was I was really I was really fearful for for Krista's safety, mm-hmm. um, because you know, it, and it was eerie too, just how whenever Rami when they switched from Elliot to Mister Robot, and just the look in Christian's eyes and the way he delivered those initial lines when that scene first started it was just so. That just added to my like, oh, Krista, get out of there now! <laughs> Don't stay yeah. around this. But um, but it, it was it was just so many layers to it because between you know you know for example with the robot talking about you know Krista and and Elliot having you know getting on the relationship there. I mean you know is that was like you know was there some kind of subtext there that. Elliot has, you know, especially given that he hacked into her life before and knows all her, you know, back, you know, knows all her personal likes and dynamics and stuff. You know, if there is some attraction that Elliot has for Krista, that robot just, you know, tossed out there and, and you know, just so many different, you know, that was just one thing, but also, and, you know, he, it revealed himself. But he didn't reveal himself because he did not compromise one thing whenever he was talking to her. He just, she tried, she was hoping, I guess, for him to double right. something, but he, you know, he, he never, he never did. And, you know, I guess it just shows, it, it makes, it makes the question, you know, how much of a, how much control Elliot, you know, Robot has over Elliot. This persona has over Elliot whenever, um, you know, not only when they're, you know, Elliot says, 
quote unquote steady state, but clearly, you know, when, whenever the robot takes over, it takes over and Elliot's, it's just pushed out, pushed out the window. Yeah, but it's, it's different than what it was before because Mr. Robot can't come and go as he pleases anymore. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that he has as much control over Elliot as he did in the second or even the first season. I think now it's kind of a little bit more balanced where Elliot, there are times when Mr. Robot take it, um, overtakes Elliot, but it, it feels much more like I get the day and you get the night. These are the lines. Yeah. <laughs> and every now and then he lets them out. But just because of how even controlled that whole environment was about, can I meet him? And then the next thing we know, Mr. Robot's overtaken. And then uh, Mr. Robot's done with the conversation and he goes back into his little cage and speaking about direction in that scene. I love what they did. I mean, the sound is one thing, but I love how they started off with um, that close up on Christian Slater and he looked so small, like he was really encompassing the screen. But there was just something about how they featured him that made him look really small. And it's almost like we are the parent looking down on a child who did something wrong and we want to know, hear the confession. And then he sort of breaks that mold and then he overtakes the room. And before you know it, you are ending the scene with him right in front of Krista and very intimidating and dominating it. So I like that contrast and how that only took three minutes. So it was tension filled, but there was a simplicity in everything that happened that made it feel like this is just a glimpse into what's ahead this season and the possibilities of future characters interacting who we never thought of would interact before. So any other thoughts about that? Um, it would be nice if we could see more scenes with uh, Krista and Robot. Um, Again, with the first name basis. <laughs> Will did it, too. Do you, do you hear Will? Will dropped Robot, and I'm like, what the heck? I, I, yeah, you started something here, Kira. <laughs> We're all friends here. <laughs> oh, I want to I want to go back for a moment to the first Krista therapy session, though, because this is really when I went. This episode is a love letter season one, and it specifically happened right when Elliot mentions the memory that continues to come up season after season. And we're still not getting the full idea of what happened that night between Elliot and his father and the window. And why it triggered, like, this is a love letter to season one in my mind, it's because in that moment when he shares that information, there's a sound cue that they use. And it just sets up this idea that he just revealed something he wasn't supposed to. And instantly Krista picks up on it and the sound cue coincides with her expression of how suddenly the conversation has changed. Suddenly this is new information, disturbing information, and she needs to know more about it to really be able to help Elliot. And that reminds me of one of the um, earlier therapy sessions in season one, where there's a similar 
sound cue. It's not the same one, but they place it in the same way that I think Elliot is going off on one of his breaking the fourth wall monologues during therapy. And then he slips up and he allows some of that monologue to break into his actual conversation with Krista and they use the sound cue. And that is all I need. Like a lot of people know I'm obsessed with sound and whenever Mr. Robot uses it, it always just my, my, my skin raises and I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) I can geek out about it. So good. So good. I just love it. And so in addition to um, all of that juiciness with the editing and directing, there's also, we got to talk about the window. I mean, Will, you and I were talking about before, but Akira, where, what is your stance on if Elliot threw him, himself out of that window, if his dad pushed him out of the window, if Mr. Robot was involved in some way? I mean, where do you sound, um, stand on this whole memory? Yeah, with this memory of uh, Elliot and this window, um, it was interesting. It was interesting to get uh, some more details of that day, Mm -hmm. um, rather than rather than just the oh he pushed me out the window because. uh, um, But yeah, I mean it it. It definitely, the more that he seems to talk about it, the more it becomes questionable as to what really happened. Um, did, you know, yeah, also questioning, did uh, his dad push him out the window? Did Elliot, people were saying, did Elliot just throw himself out the window? Or I've even seen some people speculating that robot, that, yeah, first name faces again, <laughs> that robot, um <laughs> that maybe robot had already kind of sort of been manifesting or maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe it could have been that robot manifest that day mm-hmm. and, you know, pushed him out yeah. of the window. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, it's definitely, but I've also with that scene um, where Krista's telling him, no, you, you know, you never told me this before. Um, I remember seeing someone on Twitter um, I can't remember who it was exactly, but uh, they were saying that, uh, okay, I guess we can say that Elliot's getting um, who he's telling his stories to. He's confusing that. Um, he's thinking, oh, well, we know for sure that he told us that story right. or, or subtle details of that story. Um, but Krista is telling him, no, you never told me that. So someone, so that person was saying, okay, he's obviously getting confused who he's telling, who he's told the story to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am definitely curious to, there's definitely other, other stuff here beneath the surface. So I'm definitely curious to see, to find out even like, to find out what's, what is underneath the surface. And there's definitely some blanks here. In the story that it's just, yeah, we, yeah, we gotta, yeah. Elliot, we need to have a talk again. To, to <laughs> what happened here? Um, you know, are we gonna get any other, are we gonna, um, get any other flashback scenes between, um, a younger Elliot and, um, his dad, um, to see really how that played out? Um, yeah. But I am curious to know exactly how that played out. So it's like, yeah, this it's scratching up brain. 
What's going on here, Elliot, with that story? Will knows what happened. He was there. I was there, yes. (laughs) Building a snowman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we, when we were discussing this earlier, I, you know, I was, I guess I was in the camp of, uh, that it was just, that it was that who who threw him out, tossed him out the window, and that was the moment that, you know, the, the traumatic event that sort of triggered the, the whole Mr. Robot, um, uh, you know, duality between, within Eric, within Elliot, especially whenever, you know, as he's telling a story and then, you know, especially, you know, recounting it with Darlene, um, you know, I guess that's what, I mean, she was there too, and, and, you know, and given her anxiety attacks and stuff, um, and how she, has John decide towards the whole Mr. Robot persona. Maybe, you know, that, that was kind of what kind of what led me to thinking that that was why she doesn't like robot, uh, that, mm-hmm. it, you know, that, it, that, it, that it was, you know, all the, st- you know, it just reminds her of her, of their father's, you know, issues and, and why he, you know, and, and, and when Elliot goes into, into robot mode, uh, why Darlene is, you know, just does obviously does not want to be around it because of all the stuff that happened before. Hmm. Um, I hadn't think, thought about this before, Will, and I know we were talking about this specific scene um, and all the theories around it um, prior to recording, but a thought just dawned on me while you were talking and the idea that do you think is it an assumption on the viewer's part to assume that Darlene realizes Mr. Robot is a projection of their father? And is that a legitimate assumption to make or or could there be a disconnect there where she doesn't realize that it's a projection of the father and all she has to go off of is how Elliot's mood and his whole behavior changes when he's Mr. Robot versus himself. That's a good question. Um, you know, there's, there's elements of, you could, of each of, of your, your hypothesis for how the viewer could perceive that. I mean, I guess when I'm watching it, um, I, I, I do see some el- elements of their father being, being brought out and when Elliot switches over to robot mode, um, uh, which is, right. which is why, you know, for her, it's why it's just, why she hates it and just, you know, wants him to snap out of it as soon as possible because it brings up so much pain. Uh, mm-hmm. in particular, how Elliot has recounted the day of the, you know, they were, all excited about this snowman, and then you know, Elliot somehow gets tossed out a window. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, you could say that that memory is very normal of childhood, and just like how in this episode he tries to be normal again to undo everything, and it doesn't work, and there's separation anxiety there from Mr. Robot, and then yeah. at the night he sees Mr. Robot again. But continue. Yeah, yeah but I mean, but you know, it, it could be the flip side too that um, you know. Is you know she just she may just it may not be their father at all it just could be that when Elliot goes into into robot mode it's just this new this aggressive persona you know this different persona takes over 
from the more, you know, from the Elliot who tries to be quote unquote normal. And, and mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it scares her again, you know, to, to see that. Um, and she tries to, you know, help him snap out of it as soon as she can. Right. Yeah. Darlene had a, this is a pretty big episode for Darlene. I mean, she, she's been through a lot and we see a lot of repercussions for her as she faces the idea that do I portray, betray my brother? And essentially my father, because this has always been the work that her father left them to do um, after he died. And or do I stand by them and just continue this, even though I may find myself in jail if I don't help Dom out with her investigation? And and so, I mean, Akira, what did you think about Darlene and the part she played in this episode and how? how it all transpires in terms of her storyline. Well, we got the immediate question of, uh, is Darlene working with the FBI? And yeah, yeah as a confidential human. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, however, at the same time, I mean, we've been talking about duality with some of the other characters and I want to, I would go as far as to say that I think we're, we can see duality amongst all the characters really. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of Darlene working with the FBI, um, and at the same time, at the expense of, you know, possibly, you know, implicating her brother, um, because, um, yeah, we've seen, you know, we've seen Elliot's face on the, on the FBI board and all that stuff, but even still, with Darlene and the information that they're trying to get, that they're trying to get from her, basically they keep telling her, you know, we need to get more intel about Tyrell, Tyrell, Tyrell. So I think that, um, so I think that, um, they're using her to get information out of Elliot about Tyrell since he's still perceived to be their number one target. Um, so with that said, I mean, I, I pretty much wondered that, um, you know, some people were asking, well, is Darlene pretty much just looking out for herself? And I was just, well, I would like to think that, you know, ideally she would be looking out, trying to look out for um, herself and her brother. Right. Um, which I think this episode still kind of, I think, leans in that leans mm-hmm. towards that direction, because, again, um, the everybody with the FBI, um, Santiago and uh, Dom are still like, all right, what information about Tyrell, Tyrell, Tyrell? They're not, they're never really asking her, okay, well, what did Elliot do? Like anything specifically on Elliot. And then even if they do mention Elliot, it's related to Tyrell. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then even with that, um, I think really to kind of push her to really get to push Darlene to really get any type of information that they, that they need. Um, you know, they're having to be the bearer, the bearer of that news that, you know, yeah, your brother's actually been working with Tyrell. Um, you know, like, how could you not have known that? You're supposed, aren't you supposed to be a sister? But yeah, um, they're working together. Uh, and then they play the, play the uh, phone, the telephone call. Um, and then as I've, um, as I've said her, um, on the Unmasked podcast that I think that, um, Darlene, feels a sense of betrayal pretty much 
um, because she was um, later on in the episode, we've seen her telling Elliot that, you know, I only, you know, the main reason that I came back and we did this whole thing together was so that we could be close again. And, you know, for her to find out through the FBI that, oh, Elliot's been doing this with Tyrell. So it's kind of like, you know, the five nine hack and taking down evil court was supposed to be some perceived by her to be something that they were doing together. So it's kind of like for Tyrell to come in, it's like, wait a minute, you're coming in and taking over something that was supposed to be me and Elliot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that she definitely feels that sense of betrayal, but it's more, but at the same time still is, is it a sense is in terms of the, I guess, intensity of how much betrayal she feels like isn't enough for really for her to turn on her brother in the sense that it's like all right fine if i get you information on tyrell you know um you know information on my brother as well to kind of take him down um which i don't which i don't i think that we're i think that she's still even towards the end of the episode i think that she's still looking to protect him in a way yeah. Um, Cause when we see her hacking, um, when we see her hacking his computer, um, you know, I was, I've, I've said that I liked, I would like to think that Darlene was, Darlene knew that Elliot would be smart enough to know that obviously something was going on here and would be able to figure it out for himself. But maybe also I think that again with them, with Darlene and Elliot not being as close anymore, that maybe obviously, well, obviously she can't tell him. Because uh, Don was saying, you know, you know, if you told him that would, um, you know, go against your immunity. So I figured that maybe she. On the surface, it looked like she was hacking his computer to get information, but also at the same time that, you know, on a slide, that was her way of telling Elliot that, okay, this is also what's been going on. That, yeah, uh, the FBI has been trying to get information, trying to use me to get information about Tyrell and this whole five nine thing right because i mean an argument can be made where we see elliot return to the or mr robot return to the computer and see what was changed about it and he could have discovered in that moment that that there was a puzzle piece that she left behind like knowing that it'll lead him to dom eventually rather than dom find elliot is that what you're saying I've, yeah. Okay. Cause, yeah, because we've seen um, um, shortly after the the moment in the episode where we see the F Society video, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's tell you know she brings up, well, why can't I just bring in Elliot and you guys can get try to get the information out of him yourself? And Dom tells her, you know, that telling him is you know against your immunity. So, yeah. So upon after having a little bit more time to think of to think about that whole part of the episode, I was just yeah, I think that. That that Darlene doing what she did with the computer served two purposes. One to sort of get to get Dom access to Elliot's computer, but also at the same time to allow Elliot to figure out. Uh, yeah, the FBI is trying to get a, you know trying to use me to get information from you from you about Tyrell. Right. No, I I think that's fascinating, and I'm glad you brought it up because I I totally buy into that. Um, Darlene's always been kind of that that character in the show where you you know that there's a clear bond like there's siblings and there's a lot of history there and she even makes that point in this episode that he needs to stop thinking that they're 
childhood is only his mm-hmm. and she she owns a part of that childhood as well and she stood up for herself but there is this idea that um naturally as siblings there is a rivalry and so you are kind of wondering if if Darlene's ever going to go that route to where she can cut ties with Elliot and try to forge her own legacy or her own way in life but naturally as siblings it always goes back to relying on one another especially in times when you feel most alone and having had Cisco die last season I'm sure that she's feeling more isolated now than ever so the so to pile on to that isolation the fact that she's the one talking with the FBI and then she's the one who it's revealed to Elliot has other partners in this plan in this game that they're playing it is a betrayal but I don't I have to agree with you Akira I don't think it's a betrayal to the extent that they're making it out to be and that there is definitely more to that surface because you never, you don't want to give up on the last family member you have left in the world. Um, so, so I think that is a very strong point. I like it. Yeah. I, yeah, I really don't have much more to add. I think y'all pretty much covered, covered that pretty well. Now, I do want to take it back though to Darlene and Mr. Robot. Um, that scene where Darlene finally interacts with Mr. Robot one on one. Um, is was that implied that there was child abuse in the family? Um, I f- well, from my take on it, I think that up until this point, that any child abuse has always been perceived to been to have been done at the hands of their mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that, and really the way that I kind of interpret interpret that whole interaction between Darlene and um, robot is that I have to remember that anytime that any character is interacting with robot, essentially they are interacting with Elliot, even though as the viewer, we're seeing robot, whereas the care, uh, the other character or the other person that they're, t- that robot is talking to, essentially they're talking to Elliot, just us perceiving that as robot. So when we see robot, the other person, the other character is seeing Elliot. So, um, so I think that, I think that maybe on one hand, I want to say on one hand, I think that, um, Darlene has probably been exposed to the potent, to the violent side of robot that is Elliot. Um, so that's pretty much my take on it. I mean, uh, yeah, cause I pretty much have, pretty much perceive or interpret any abuse, any abuse that has been at the hands of any of their family members. It was probably from the mom. Yeah. I, I agree. I, the mother has been the one who's been the abusive one, I think. Um, which, you know, you know, going back to the window, I mean, maybe she was, maybe she was the one who actually tossed uh, Elliot out the window. Maybe there was a fight between, you know, between the mom and, and robot at, well, their father, um, and, you know, Elliot was trying to intercede, intervene or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, 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 and as a result, got tossed out the window, which, I mean, uh, you know, getting back, I think that, you know, there's mul- many layers to that. And, you know, Elliot's told clearly, he thought he told Krista, um, you know, the story. But, um, I, I, I didn't take it as, as, um, the history of, 
I mean, uh, the father abusing the kids. Okay. Okay. I, I have to rewatch the scene because there was something about the dialogue that led me to believe that she actually realized that who she was talking to and it wasn't Elliot. And maybe that's just my mind playing tricks on me because of that whole exchange between Angela and Elliot, where Angela now is also another one who's more aware about when Elliot goes from Elliot to um, Mr. Robot. So um, maybe I thought that that also applied to Darlene, but I don't know. Plenty of episodes left to break down. Is Akira, is this a 13 or a 10 episode season? Uh, this is a 10 episode season. Yes. I love that we're not having the longer episodes this year and that it's more condensed. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be yeah, great. The, yeah. The part, the part one and part two is, yeah. After a minute, it was just, ah, uh, yeah. okay. Trying to keep those together. Um, but yeah, but, uh, yeah, not everybody in the, uh, you know, not all the Mr. Robot fans are happy that about the, the season being 10 episodes, but it's just like, Guys, let's just be happy that the season is back. Yeah. 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 Ten up ten hours more than we had like last year or I don't I don't know, this summer. So I'm I'm actually glad because I find that shorter seasons it allows you to tell the story at a better pace than thirteen episodes or twenty three episodes. And and it leaves less time to dawdle around and just get your points across. So I'm, I'm glad that they decided to less is more go that route on things. Do you guys have any final points before we wrap it up tonight? No, I think we, I think we, we covered things very well. Um, looking at can't wait for this week. Uh, well, one other, well, one other thing, um, since I, um, went back and watched, uh, both episodes again to prep for the record. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> But um, in the first uh, episode, really, and I thought it was interesting in terms of um, Elliot keeping his distance from Darlene, because in the first episode of the new season, um, it's Angela telling uh, Robot that, no, we can't get Darlene involved. Uh, she helped Elliot close the back door. Um, but then in the second episode, it's Elliot telling Darlene to her face you know, you know why we can't talk. You're my trigger. So I just thought that that was interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did want to bring up that line <laughs> at some point. Because that is interesting in the sense that um, Darlene's right now tra- struggling with, do I, well, do I sell Elliot out or do I protect him and hold on to him and keep him close. But simultaneously you have the exact opposite happening with Elliot where he also wants to be, stay in touch with Darlene, but at the same time he doesn't want Mr. Robot to come out and she is a trigger. And I, I mean, to go off that point about her being a trigger, then I'm going to assume that anything related to his childhood and to people he knew either before or during that incident um, with the window are could be triggers for Mr. Robot to really overtake Elliot. And it's kind of all tied back into that memory. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I definitely agree with you there. Cause um, even um, 
a couple of days after the season premiered and I was um, watching the episode again. Um, <laughs> um, and I was, I came across the scene where, uh, where Angela tells Elliot, um, well, what if I told you that everything could be undone? And just at first thinking about it, you're just, oh, well, time travel until Sam debunked the whole time travel thing. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, you're like, wait, sound, you were like, wait, time travel, maybe. And then Sam debunked it. And then you, and then I went back and watched it, watched it again. And I just thought, wait a minute, Angela again knows Elliot better than anybody. So what if Angela said that whole, what if thing as a way to lure Mr. Robot out? Uh -huh. um, yeah. I mean, cause yeah, so I mean, I figure, you know, maybe with Angela, of course, being the one that knows him, that knows him best, like she probably wouldn't know things to say or do that will bring Robot out. But that yeah. was um, that was that was during the ride to Irving, or was it on the ride home? Well, just before. Well, just before. Um, robot uh emerged because you know she was telling elliot the whole what if right. um what if um what if we can make it so that um we could take it back and what sacrifice would you make also what struck me with that was you know her asking what sacrifice would you be willing to make yeah. for that so of course everything you know this whole thing is going to come at an ultimate price so I was like, hmm, okay, well if you're obviously game for this angela what are you sacrificing yeah. Her morality. Yeah. yeah. But, you could say morality, but um, hmm, but maybe even maybe even something deeper than that. I mean, if you can if you can sacrifice anything deeper than your morality. Do you think that she is sacrificing Elliot? That is something that that's highly susceptible. Mm. I think. I mean, I would. I you could definitely make that argument. I think. Um, maybe even sacrificing, well, I don't know, would sacrificing herself be, you know, in her eyes worth it in order to have all this be undone? But that doesn't, I mean, Angela seems to be a very self-serving character. Ow. So <laughs> I just don't see her sacrificing herself. She's always, you know. Uh, Elliot himself said it or himself, like, you know, if people get close, she goes into power saver mode. So her power saver what? mode is to basically look out, you know, to, to do the things to protect herself from. Well, yeah, and that that's fair enough. But also remember, at one point, she was willing to, you know, turn herself into the FBI. But at the same time, telling Elliot, yeah, I'm going to turn myself into the FBI. But, you know, I'm just. Like, I'll, don't worry, I won't give them you. I won't give them you or anything or anybody else that I know is involved. But then again, that was before White Rose right. talked to her. So, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, White Rose gave well, her the, may have given her the means, especially given that Angela was so bent on finding out what happened at the um, uh, Washington Township situation. Um you know, if he gave her the means, you know, to be able to undo that with with the price being maybe being Elliot, she she would she would take it. 
I mean, that's just how I read. Yeah, that's how, because, how I read Angela's character. Right, because I mean, even White Rose, I think, in that first episode, says that Elliot is dispensable. Yeah. I he he only needs. She only needs him for a certain purpose, and then once he's exhausted that, he can be removed from the board, and that may be the sacrifice that Angela's willing to um, make, because for for me, whatever happened between Angela and White Rose, uh, we got only a glimpse of it, there is a clear faith now that she has in everything that's being played out now, and this idea that she's she's fully converted to Dark Army mode. And I think she's always had that potential because, to, to Kira's point, about sacrificing others and trying to even sacrificing herself along the way. Because ever since season one, she's she's actively trying to um, right the wrong of her mom's death and encountering all of these people who had a part in it and is willing to manipulate and try to walk that line and she manages to get hurt in this process. So I don't know if it's necessarily self-serving so much as I feel like she's a character who they, they took, they made appear very innocent and very clean. And now we're three seasons in and she has blood on her hands and probably a lot more sins um, that she'll need to find redemption for the rest of the series. And yeah. yeah. So all right, guys, that was that was a lot of yeah. fun. I can't believe that's only two hours and two episodes later. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Okay, Akira, why don't you tell um, the listeners where they can find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter. I'm at hellofriend, H3LL0FRI3ND1. Um, they can also uh, catch me on the Unmasked podcast, uh, talking about Mr. Robot with uh, C. Celine and Southern Cynic. Nice. Very nice. Very, very nice. Will? Will? Where you can find me at uh, Will M. Polk, uh, W-I-L-L-M-P-O-L-K. And he does run our Twitter account, at Cena Nerd. I saw that there was a tweet about it. He is the mastermind behind that account. <laughs> Every now and then I'll jump on, but he's he's the creative force behind there. So you can also find him at Scene and Nerd. And you can find me on Twitter at SJ Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. Please friend us on Facebook and check us us check us out on SoundCloud. But most importantly, go and rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes. You can also catch us on the Castbox Android app. I'm getting better yes, at it, Will. Good night, geek out. <laughs>